0: This podcast is proud to be part of the Talk sport Fan Network. Talk Sport. Powered by fans.
1: Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast.
0: www.backofthenest.com.
2: Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. My name is Chris Hambling and I'm your show host once again. In this episode, we'll be taking a look at some key Palace topics, another fine away day victory, this time it's Burnley, and we'll also be going through a selection of your questions. Here to help or hinder me as best they can are my panel, Mike Scott, D.R. Kernes, Patrick O'Connor. We'll be back with you after this short break. Back of the Nest
1: Match Preview Podcast. Hello lovely listeners, it's Terence from the Preview Podcast here and it's time for the big one. Me, Sam Heskip and Mike Scott will be in your ears from late on Thursday night next week to build you up to the game against Brighton at Sellers Park.
3: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot.
2: The Talksport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus rewards registration required points only on menu items delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com okay let's talk to that panel and i have to start as i like to do with mr Dr. Kerners. hello dr hello how are you doing this week all good uh yeah
1: i think so um it's been a long week but palace winning it uh, winning at a weekend topped it up. I think.
2: Yeah, you've been a bit quiet. Usually, you've said something ridiculous uh, in our what one of our WhatsApp groups or something like that. But you've been a bit quiet this week. But I noticed you've been a uh, you've, you've informed me you've been listening to um to an Alex Jones podcast.
1: Yeah, it just popped up on my timeline um, uh, on yesterday. I think yesterday night. Yeah, before I was going to sleep and before I listened to listen to it. The man was man is a lunatic, honestly. It's funny, um, hilarious.
2: If people don't know who Alex Jones is, he's kind of a conspiracy nut, but like in a major, major way. Uh, a little bit like David Icke in the sense that he believes the world is run by lizards. DR, is the world run by lizards?
1: Well, I think you're a lizard, Chris. Let me get straight on to the point. Um, I don't, you don't run the world, of course, but after watching up I'm joking, by the way. Before people actually believe me that I believe in lizards. No, no, it's not run by lizards. I just Do find it hilarious. He just, just storms in and, you, and I just love it. It's just... It's just crazy.
2: Do you think that, um, you know, if I was a lizard, do, do, you mean do, do lizards sweat when they eat like I do, do you think?
1: Um, I think that's part of being a lizard. You're, you're meant to not stand out in a way like it's normal for you to sweat. So no one really knows who's a lizard. I might be a lizard right now. Yeah. Patrick might be a lizard or Mike might be a lizard. That's a part of it. You don't know who's a lizard. So
2: I don't know. It's an interesting point. We'll try to get to the bottom of that in the coming weeks on this show. Find out if any of us are lizards. Mike, hello. Well,
0: that's three minutes of my life I'll never get back. Thanks. <laughs> uh, I don't know why you don't believe in lizards. I mean, they, they are real. They are just, just, they don't happen
2: to, <laughs> don't happen to rule the world. Um, yeah, yeah there are too, yeah. Yeah, lizards. That's, that's very true. Yeah. What have you been up to, Mike? Anything fun? Uh, today i put my
0: wallet in the washing machine um then i was about to go out and i was like oh damn i've lost my wallet um i was at a party last night drinking homemade uh, rum punch so i thought i might have lost it and then uh it suddenly occurred to me many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out my solution is plush care that i hadn't checked my jacket before i put it in the washing machine uh ruined all my cards have to see if my season ticket works when i next try and go through the turnstiles Uh, i don't know if they guarantee that they're washing machine proof i assume they're probably not so other than that it's been a good weekend but that's uh, that's quite annoying it's not as annoying as losing your cards but still it's quite annoying
2: yeah, it's up there. Hey, hey, Mike. Hey, Mike. Surely there's better ways to launder your, your money. <laughs> oh, no. Oh, oh see, <laughs> you're lizard. <Sorry>. <laughs> 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 Lizards don't make Anyway, let's not get into that. Right. Patrick, you're here as well. Hello.
3: Good afternoon. How are you?
2: I'm, I'm amazing. Absolutely amazing. Um, however, I just want to hear about you. What have you been up to? Nothing. Excellent. Let's move on now. So first up... <laughs> In our, uh, in our review of the week, um, we'll have a little, little chat. I don't know. There's a couple of little ways of going with this, really. Uh, I do want to acknowledge up front the, um, the Watford allocation issue. Uh, it has been talked about on our, our Love Sports show. Uh, but I just want to draw a little bit of attention to it here, gents, and get your opinion, really. So we've, we've been given the bare minimum allocation by Watford for the FA Cup quarterfinal, which is uh, 3,100. Those tickets sold out incredibly quickly. Uh, well, I was privileged enough to get one, but not everybody has, unfortunately. And, um, there's, you know, the, the the problem really does seem to be that I think it's 2000 odd seats in that stand will literally just be netted off um, when there's such a demand for tickets. And, you know, that's a, that's a real shame. Um, so uh, Mike you, I don't know you you're one who you missed out on a ticket I, I guess you it's a probably a good place to start in terms of what what you feel about that that allocation issue
0: Yeah I'm I'm absolutely gutted um no, for the past few seasons I had to give up my season ticket for a little while when my my kids were young and I couldn't can could not go to all the games um so I haven't got enough points uh, you know I can't you know expect that it's it sold out quickly you know everyone wants to go but uh, really frustrating i think if there had been five thousand, i would have been able to to get one because i was i was the next phase so yeah very frustrating um i don't really understand the rationale behind it um i, I don't see you know there's, there's quite a lot of revenue they've lost there so hopefully that that, that at least hits them a little bit but yeah I, I don't see how it make a difference to their team performance so. well
2: there's there's lots of rumors that they are trying to ban the drum that we have and uh, they're trying to uh, obviously. I think I think the the motivation genuinely seems to be the, the you know a fear of of us and our support turning it into a home game. I mean we pretty much do that anyway every time we visit Watford to the point where you know they have I don't know what they call themselves anymore. They call the Yellow Peril or something like that. That sounds about right. But um, you know they have their own ultras group that are very much a, a, a sort of watered down horrendous copy of the HF. Uh, and I think gen- it must. It just seems to be a, a club decision to, you know, to to restrict our support, and, and the idea that it will benefit their team somehow. To
0: you know. it must, it must work the other way, though. Like when Grimsby brought down all those fans, it was an absolute pleasure to see them shouting, you know, singing along, even when they were losing. Uh, you know, if they were to go through and beat us, it was, surely it would be sweeter. So, you know, they, they obviously don't back themselves.
2: Yeah, the only thing I will say is that I can remember they're not too distant past. You know, our club getting stick for allowing uh, an away team the entire half away, I think, I can't remember who the last one was, but lots of people were sort of saying, I'll give them the, the bare minimum and, you know, you know, don't let them come to our place and turn it into a home game and all that kind of stuff. So it's interesting to see people getting getting wound up when... I do recall at times the, the shoe being on the other foot and us us sort of having an opposite opinion, but it just does seem odd. It, you know, surely football is for the fans, it's not for clubs to kind of manipulate a situation. Yes, they are doing what they're obliged to do, but it just seems a little bit low and a little bit frustrating. And people talk about the magic of the cup disappearing. Um, and those are the sorts of things that will contribute to that. You understand it at all, Patrick?
3: I guess kind of it's, <clears throat> I've actually been to a couple of big Watford palace matches, the uh, playoff final and the semifinal. The atmosphere between the two fans is great. So, I know we don't particularly like them; they don't like us, you know. The wealth being this focal point, but I, me as a, I personally would like, you know, for people who I know a lot for even uh, back in that people couldn't get tickets. I feel bad people who wanted to go and can't go. But in, in another way, I guess I kind of understand what, what they're doing uh, as far as like roping off the end, I guess they're concerned about some things happening. The the drum thing's a joke. They can't ban the drum. You know, it kills the atmosphere. But again, I just feel bad at people who can't go want to go because it's a shame because it, it, they they had the seating so they could allow more people. But again, I, I kind of understand what they're trying to do as far as that allocation goes.
2: OK, next up, I'd really like to talk about our home and away record. It's... um. It's quite baffling. The, the away statistics are ridiculous. I think we're sixth in the table. Uh, if you look at away games only, we we're second bottom. If you look at the the home form, we've we've kind of referenced it before a few times, and it, it, it's I don't know. It's a source of frustration for me, and it, it's not like it's just this season. We've we've not had a, a particularly impressive home record for a while, and I'd really want to get into some of the the reasons for that in a, in a little bit of detail here, if I can. So. Let, let, let's you know look look in isolation at this season obviously we do know that it's it's pretty much an accepted fact that when you know and we take advantage of this when you when you go and play in someone else's stadium you you approach the the, the game differently um, you try and shut off their space stop them playing and, and ask them to break you down unless you're a, a big team with quality players and you can you can kind of back yourselves to to control the match so we we don't do that at home we don't well, we can't control the match. We can't control possession, but we really do seem to struggle to break teams down. Now, it's not only a, a problem for us; it's a problem for for many other teams who are similar to ourselves. But the argument, I guess, is: Do we have the options and do we have the personnel to be able to change that? You know, I talked in the week about I, I would be playing Max Meyer at home games, away games. And I'm not necessarily sure. That, that he is a better option than some of the others in the team. But, you know, you're looking for that extra bit of creativity, that extra link between the the defence and the attack. And we've got plenty to talk about with, with I think, with, with Roy this week. But if we can get straight into the the discussion around why do we succeed or fail, um, you know, away versus home? I mean, DL, what do you think?
1: Well, when you play at home, it's a different approach to how you play out away because at home, teams tend to come and, you know, they'll be happy with a point and they're more compact. Whereas when you play away from home, it's the opposite. Um, you're, it's, it's known as the team has a home advantage and therefore pushes more forward and leaves spaces uh, behind, which we're good at punishing. As you can see, um our away record, uh, we've won six games and uh, drawn two, uh, lost seven scored 25 goals compared to a, our home record where we've only scored 10 goals. We're good at the counter-attack and good at, you know, when we see spaces open, we can we can go through the teams. But at home, when they're more compact, we struggle to break them down. I, I think tactics do kind of play a part in that. It seems like both home and away, uh, we struggle earlier on in the game, um, which even at home games, uh, you can see that's the case as well. Um uh, I don't know. We 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 we're more. It seems like we have more of a defensive approach, or the players are not up for it for some reason. But I think um, it's something that definitely needs to get addressed because, as you said, Chris, it's not only this season. It's been uh, last two, three seasons, or even longer than that. That it's been like this.
0: Uh, I would
1: temper it. I
0: mean, everything you've both said is. Very much the case, but I would temper it by saying that early on in the season we had an absolutely shocking home record, um, which has meant that a lot of our points, you know, as a total, as a total, have come away because we were doing better earlier in the season away. There has been periods where we've played fairly well at home and and gone a few games without losing. I think it was three or four. You know, was, uh, the Leicester game, Burnley at home, and then a cup win. So it, it's more a fact that we went, we were so dismal, you know, that Southampton game really sticks in my mind as being about as bad as it got. Um, if that start hadn't been quite so bad, I don't think the stats would be quite so stark as they are. Um, but having said that, um, considering Hodgson's philosophy initially when he joined was uh, three points at home, one point away, it does seem like he's gone away from that a little bit.
2: Well, well, definitely. Um, yeah you know i think the the goals element that dr brought into it's very very interesting because we are very very clinical away from home the last two wins away from home we've we've pretty much scored every shot on target i think maybe maybe one or two have been saved, but it's it's odd to see that because we are creating those chances at home
3: and another thing to add is that um so i did a little bit of research on Harton's coaching style and Two words, three words kind of stick out. He likes to play direct and narrow going forward. So if you think about how you would set up at home, as Dio had mentioned before, you know, you're going to want to be a little bit more attacking at home. You know, you've got the crowd behind you, et cetera. But we don't really have the players to kind of play that way. So I've noticed, Mike brought a point about early in the season and how, you know, our record was home versus away. I've noticed that we seem to have ceded possession no matter who we play. Beginning of year, you know, you're playing teams like Liverpool, and Chelsea, obviously, you're not going to get the possession. But, you know, you, you switch and you're playing Burnley and stuff like that. Even the, even those matches started giving up possession. But that was fine because, again, Hodgson wants to play it, uh, you know, more of a direct style. So he plays, the, you know, three or four or five midfielders. And we try and win the ball in midfield. Then, you know, get it to Zahar or Townsend to attack. And then you've got a focal point when we had him, which was Teke But he wasn't there. It was Wilf and Andros. And now we have Batshuayi. So the style of play is, is, is kind of set up to be much more suited to, to away. For instance, again, the counter-attack style, which has been a Palace staple for years. You know, you get the ball, you turn it over and then you look for, you know, the wide fullbacks to overlap on and then get the ball in. And I just think our style of play is really a, something that has morphed and changed over the last, I would say, three, four months and is much more suited to play away because of, again, that's that's the way Hossin likes to play. It's very, very important that you are drilled defensively. Um, I've, I've said before, I think the key to our success this year has been our our back four and our goalkeeper with Luca in front of him, then someone like Kiyote next to him. And I think that style is going to work better away. Does it look great at home? No. And I think at some point we've tried to be more uh, aggressive at home and it hasn't worked. We've ended up, you know, drawing with a team like Cardiff, nil nil or Newcastle, nil nil. We tried to get them more possession. And I think that, like I said, the counter style just works in the Premier League for a team like us, a, a mid to low le- level team than it would be um, at home. I would say that... <clears throat> Direct, narrow,
0: and quick bursting runs that only last a few seconds is very much my bedroom technique. So, uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> that's what she said.
2: Showing off there. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, uh, go on. Go on Dylan, yeah,
1: um, I, I understand Patrick's point that we've changed our style, but I'm not, I'm not slating Hodgson for this. I'm just saying that we need to. Adjust to that, we, because our home record shouldn't be one of the. It, it's only Huddersfield have got worse home record than us, and Huddersfield are playing like a Championship side, and the fact that we're one place above Huddersfield is just worrying. it feels somewhere like fifteenth, fourteenth, then it's more understandable, but it seems like a crisis. If we want to be a solid top ten team, then we need to adjust us our, our style of play when we're playing at home, because if we continue like this, then. The same thing is going to happen. We, I know we're in a decent position right now, but if we got more wins at home, then right now we'll probably be higher up the table and focus more on top seven finish rather than staying up.
2: Well, exactly. And, and you're right when you talk about about changing it. And for, for me, it's I, I just want to see us. I think, you know, Roy has a degree of acceptance about things when they don't go bad, you know, they're not going well. You know he believes in his methods, and he has every right to do that, given you know his coaching record and his experience. and And I think the players probably enjoy that about him in the sense that he's very clear and very consistent. And I think players like that kind of thing and that that kind of environment. But you have to look at it, you know, across at least his time in charge of Palace, and hope that he's trying to figure out a a way to improve this. Now, I think the trouble is he will always look at it and say we've created enough chances and we we just haven't finished them so there's not too much wrong um but for me i always whenever we play at home you could kind of just draw a sort of a big circle in the in the pitch sort of between sort of defence and attack for us there's just a huge area of space where someone needs to be now i don't mean playing there because i you know as much as people cry out for max mayer to be playing in the, in behind the striker that's not really what he wants to do by all accounts and it's not really the type of player he is but you're looking for players like him and like MacArthur and like Coyote to be breaking into that space I mean too often at home you you, you get the, we get the ball out wide and we do have too few options in the middle um, and it's about doing that in a smart way in a way that doesn't go against the Hodgson um, philosophy of tight spaces between players and you know being defensively organized and getting back in position when you lose the ball, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, we also do have to take a risk every now and then. I just think lift that, the, lift the number of risk moments, you know, get a couple of players forward when, you know, when you're chasing a game and you actually want three points. I think at times it feels like we're like, well, okay, if we don't win, at least we get a point. It's not that big a deal. And I think I think that's where a lot of the frustration comes from. As, as supporters, we just want to see our team trying to win a match.
3: And... Four pops my head just now when you were talking, Chris, about Hodgson and Dion. mentioned about, you know, Hodgson. And I just think, and I thought about it yesterday, I'm not sure we've ever played our best 11 players at any point in the season. And I think even he is struggling to figure out what's the best way for players to play. So my, my, my thought is this. Look, you know, look at our goalkeeping situation yesterday, how we switched it. Look at our back four. Our back four is probably our best back four is probably PVA, Sacco, Tompkins, and, and Juan Basaka. And I would argue that PVA has not had his best season this year, especially defensively. Then you go to the midfield. We can argue all day about the midfield. I understand why he plays Schlupp and Maka. We, we're going to talk, you know, we, we talk about Meyer being in there somewhere. How does he fit in? Then you've got, obviously, uh, Luca. Look at Kiata, how well he played yesterday. Where does he fit in? Then you go to Zaha and Townsend. You know, absolutely happy on the field. Townsend yesterday wasn't on the field. <laughs> and we played decently. Then you go up front with the strikers. That's why clinical finish. But is he our best striker? But hold up play, probably not. On the counter-attack playing, maybe he is. You've got Wickham and Sacco. I mean, you think about it. I don't think at any point they this, have played our best 11, I think even Roy at some point struggles to figure out who they are. And I think once that happens, then you'll see things maybe get better at home.
2: Yeah, certainly. And look, let's, let's not get... Sort of dragged down into talking too much, you know, about the home record as well, because you know, obviously, we've, we've outlined that it's an issue. But let's look at the flip side as well. We have a fantastic away record, and that is as much as we're we're looking for answers about the home situation. You got to praise the the club and the players uh, and the management for for what we do away from home. We look absolutely breathtaking at times, and we're putting people to the sword. We, you know, we are taking chances, scoring lots of goals we look really, really dangerous, a proper team. And uh, to me, that's incredibly exciting because I'd much rather have that problem to deal with at home, knowing that we're capable of the kind of football that that we've been seeing away from home. It's been brilliant. And I
0: think it's an easier fix than if you take a team like Brighton who get all their points at home. Um, You know, that, the reason that they don't manage to do stuff away is because they don't have the flair and the ability to do it. So the fact that you do means it, it must be an easier fix to do it at home. And when you say that we're 19th in the former league at home, well, most teams get most of their points from home. So, um, you know, it's natural that we'll be higher up in the in the league just by winning a few away in that But So it's a slightly skewed stat, I think, uh, in that we're, the, <clears throat> we're one of the rare teams that does the opposite to what everyone else does. So I wouldn't read really quite too much into it
2: no for sure but um, but without doubt it's, it's definitely something worth talking about something else worth talking about Gareth Southgate in in attendance at the game a lot of talk about Aaron Wan-Pasaka being called up to the senior England squad um, interesting we, we've seen a week where everyone keeps talking about Trent Alexander-Arnold he had a hat-trick of assists the other day um, you know and it's, isn't it great to have two you know real talented players playing it right back for you know who can, can be selected for England whoever. A lot of years ahead of them. Wan-Bissaka has been amazing for us, absolutely amazing. Um, what, what are you thinking, Mike?
0: Uh, I've got to assume that he was more there for Tom Heaton, Really, I mean, the man's the man's been out injured for a while. He's got to work for his place back for England. Um, Pickford's in a side that's hemorrhaging goals, and he's you know he's making the odd error, having trouble um, coming out and picking the ball up for crosses. Um, he certainly had a few problems against Liverpool in that exceptionally dull nil-nil game Um, so you know whether or not he was totally there for Wambasaka, you know he had another game where he looked as strong as he has in recent weeks so he didn't do himself any harm but I would have thought that he's going to get a bit of a run in the under-21s first I I can't see him suddenly rushing into the England side unless it's the odd friendly or something
2: well I mean he's certainly they're looking at him for the uh I think it's the under 21 championship European championships isn't it I think coming up in the in the summer I'm sure he's. Been...
0: that's that's right if we if we qualify for <laughs> yeah, it, yeah.
2: yeah true yeah yeah so I guess for me the question is whether or not Aaron Wapusaka is actually ready for an England call up and whether or not he'll be able to sort of replicate that that form at, at senior international level you know he's absolutely um, ice cool when he was put in under pressure when he first got into the side. And you kind of expect he'll do exactly the same thing if he is put in that position. But, you know, he's got a lot of competition there. I don't think there's any real major need to rush it, but there's no doubt they're definitely having a look at him. Um, and who wouldn't be when you look at the statistics that keep coming up about him? Anyway, let's let's move on from that uh, and get into the third topic. And I know, Mike, this is one, one of yours uh, you, you want to bring up.
0: Yeah, and I guess it's connected uh, because obviously wan on the right. We're going to discuss the impact of Wilf Sahar playing on the right. And if we go for a, a comment from Liam Talbot, he said, uh, Sahar has played on the right for essentially a game and a half now. This was his natural position before we got Townsend. Is it coincidence he's been a lot more productive in this time? I'm not saying drop Townsend. As for me, he's one of the players of the season. Absolutely. I'm also not saying I think Zahar is playing better or worse. I just think being in a truly natural position, he seems to be able to produce the final ball better. Now, if we start with Chris's thoughts on this, because uh, he has he was looking at the heat maps, which he's uh, shared with us uh, about where zahar has been standing for the game, and it does make for interesting analysis.
2: It, it does indeed, and we'll talk more about the system in a little bit. And I think people... If you know, first thing I'll say is people do get a little bit hung up on, on where Wilf plays, and, and you know, the, the assertion that he's a winger and a winger only and will only play well there when, you know, if you look statistically at his most successful period, it is when he was playing up top. He, uh, he has less chance to sort of run up players one on one, but he certainly has more of a chance to contribute to meaningful moments, i.e., assists and goals. Uh, we've seen him really start scoring goals of late, which is brilliant. The heat map show quite clearly that Wilf did favour the right-hand side, but he, you know he was effectively playing up front as well. And it's very interesting looking at Batshuayi's heat map because, as well, he was clearly playing up front. No one would argue with that, but his his he ultimately favoured the left-hand side as well. So there was a clear um, split between right and left in those forward positions. And I think you know the fact that Wilf did a lot of his dangerous moments from the right, but it's important to look at the fact that. Much of that, although in a, in a sort of an orthodox right wing position, was also on the right hand side of the penalty area as well. You know, and he got forward for the cross for the for the eventual own goal, and obviously his wonderful, wonderful solo effort for the third goal as well. Um, but it, it's a really good point because for such a long time he was playing on the right. But I don't know if I'd I'd agree that it's his natural position. I think. You know his his natural position is, is letting him play where he wants. You know, looking for areas on the pitch where he can see most of the ball, um, and, and really try to isolate himself against players who, who simply can't cope with him. Um, and certainly against Burnley, there were two players. I think it was mainly me and Taylor who were trying to sort of, uh, as Dr said last week, double team, which is definitely the wrong phrase, but they were certainly trying to double up on him. Um, and you know they failed because he had an absolutely superb game, and maybe he is more comfortable that side.
1: Well, you have to look at it two ways. So if Wilf plays on the right, that means Andros has to play on the left. And last time when that happened, it was a massive problem for Andros. Um, it was under Pardew, I believe. And Andros was clearly not happy. And now I'm not saying that Andros wouldn't play on the left and that he would create a big problem. But I don't think so because he was. Res- uh, it looks like he respects Roy and the other players does a- do as well. But... It's just it, it. I think it really depends on what who's playing up front as well because Andros's uh weak foot, um, his right foot, is not as strong as Zaha's weak foot. In my opinion, personally, you see Andros always playing on right hand side because he loves cutting into the left. He just loves his strong foot. So unless we play Ben Teke up front and we're putting balls into the box, then yeah, Andrews can play out on the left hand side because that is his strong foot and it'll be more effective. However, if we're going to continue playing like we have done and not put that many crosses in, which is understandable by having a bad shot up front, then it will only make sense to put you know Wilf on the left, even though he had a great game there. It's just the fact that. It, Andros will be less effective. So, it, you know, Wilf is still effective on, on the left-hand side. Whereas if Andros goes there, I think his performances will drastically drop. He's got a great connection with, with Wan-Bissaka and that'll, that'll be gone. So, no, I, I I just think Wilf had a great game, but uh, just keep him on the left-hand side. Don't mess up the system.
0: Well, I think Liam's point is that um, Zahar is more productive on the right as well as, well as Townsend. Um, and what I would say to that is, Kuwate had an excellent game. Um, you know, to see him and Mayer, my expectation would have been uh, that uh, Milivojevic and Kuwate stayed back more and then Mayer went up. Now, all, all three goals had an involvement from Kewarte, um who had, I thought, we had an excellent game. Um, and then behind him is Wan-Bissaka, who, again, can be excellent going forward. Whereas if you take Zaharpan on the left, uh, behind him, he's got, um, he's got, PVA, who hasn't had the greatest time of it recently, and those sort of little triangular passes and one-twos haven't necessarily been there. So this comes back to a point, or a similar point to what Terence made uh, on the previous show last week, where he said, in a way, he'd like for Zahar to go off to a, a big side to see what he can do with decent players around him. Well, I think yesterday, um, with Cuarte doing so well and Wan-Bissaka being that support, you got a glimpse of exactly what Zaha can do. When he's surrounded by players that can really support him, and
3: that's exactly what happens. And I'd like to add that um, I just want Wolves to get the ball more. I, I think, as Chris mentioned, I think the left side, right side thing is way over uh, overemphasized and overthought. If you look at uh, some of Wolves' uh, better plays, uh, you know they're on the left side. The goals, the goal against West Ham this season, goal last year. He can cut in from either side. You know he's basically two foot. He likes to cut in. And unlike who, Andros who loves to be on the right side, of cutting his left foot, Wolf doesn't really care. He'll chop you and chop you and chop you. You go back and look at yesterday's goal until you fall down, then he'll shoot and he'll score. So that's a little bit overblown. I mean, you know, a great stat is that you know uh, Kane, Salah, and let me get the third person, Lukaku. Only players that have scored more goals away from home than than Wolf has. So, and he hasn't been playing on the right the entire season. So, again, I think it's a little bit overblown as far as which side the player And just get the ball to Wolf and we'll be fine.
2: Yeah, I, I totally agree with that. Um, what I would, and this this will take us nicely into into the next uh, section as well. Um, I think Mike's point about get, getting the right players around Wilf is is very much um, spot on. You see, I think you know we, we're talking about if Wilf plays right side, Andros has to play left in the system that we actually picked. Which, like I say, we will we will get into now. It, you can actually do both um it would it would involve accepting that the right side narrow pl- midfielder which w- was coyote it was it would involve accepting a bit of a risk and putting andros in that position because as i said Wilf played up front he played up front alongside batchae it just so happened that the the way the game panned out the space was out there on the right hand side and you know the link up play with Wampasaka was, was his best way of getting involved in the game but he you know he was playing as a forward so you can take that risk and maybe that's the sort of thing we're talking about when you're playing when we're playing at home and we're trying to be more of an attacking force that's the kind of risk that you could potentially take but obviously you wouldn't want to drop coyote after a great performance like that and you know maybe it's andros to that has to sit out but i don't necessarily think he has to play the other side to wilf um, that, that's not always going to be the case um Patrick, you've got your hand up, that's why I paused there. Sorry, Mikey, you're gonna to have to edit that. Um, so look, it, it it's it's a, it's an endless debate um where where Zahar is best suited, but I think what's really nice is that we're starting to see his best form and going into a, a home match against Brighton. I couldn't be happier about that. But let's have a look at the have a look at the system and get into some more specific game chat right now. Uh, the question I want to ask, and this comes from um some information that um I've become party to, which was nice. Um and it is you know, I've got to ask you guys a question and I'll ask you all individually and, and I've got your earlier answers in our chat, so don't lie. Um as to what system did you think we played? What formation to be precise did you think we played? DR, what did you think we were playing? Um four three three. All right, okay. Patrick, what were you what were you thinking we were playing? Um either a four five one or a four three three. And Mike,
0: it felt more like a four-three-three to me,
2: right? And for me as well, absolutely right. I looked at it. I thought um, the you you know obviously swapping the wings between. I thought Zaha was playing right. Uh, I thought Jeffrey Schlupp had come in to play on the left hand side of a front three, and that Coyote was the the MacArthur replacement. And I thought that was how we'd we'd handled that. I'm reliably informed that the actual setup was four four two. That's how the players were. Were asked to set themselves up, and obviously you had so across the, the midfield is really where the question is. So it was obviously Batshuayi and, and Zaha up top across the midfield. You had you were back to the narrow system. Obviously you think about when we had Loftus Cheek playing left and Macarthur playing on the right of a, of a central narrow four. Um, in, in this case, it was Coyote on the right hand side and. Max Mayer on the left, sorry, and Jeffrey Schlupp on the left, with a central two of Mayer and Milivojevic. But that definitely shifted, and there was a lot of positional exchange. And there's a bit of a, an insight into why this was uh, that came from um, a clip we've we found. I think Patrick pushed it our way earlier on today, and it goes back to when Roy was in charge of England. and was asked to explain his thoughts on on attack on tactical systems in general. I don't ever describe styles of play. I leave that to you know, and the people out there. I, I'm always seeing when I, before a match, I'm watching on television, or maybe a, a game I'm at. Formations being given to me and being it being suggested to me that this is the way the team play. I think that it's a complex matter, um, in the sense that. In the course of a game, you could prove a lot of things. You could prove a lot of systems by stopping the game at any one time and suggesting this is a the system they play. We work on principles, Principle of attack, Principle of defense. Well, there we go. Uh, cool. Patrick, jump straight in Yeah,
3: that clip really helps me understand Hodgson more than anything else. It really does. Um watching a game yesterday. I... Really went from I couldn't help myself because you know being coach I couldn't help myself trying to figure out what we playing. So at one point I really thought we were playing a four three three because as you said I thought we really had you know Schlupp was pushed up with Wolf on the right with Betzway and obviously Luca Meyer and um, Kuyatze as the three. I Looked at it again and I'm saying no this is a five because you know Wolf has dropped off deep he's covering wide right and Schlupp's wide left. And you've got Meyer tucked inside with Luca and Kuyate. I looked again. I said, wait a minute, is Kuyata playing a little further up? Because you know the couple of Mike greatly pointed out he was involved in all three goals. So he, was the Eli pushed a bit more forward, is Luca, you know, screening the back four. But again, like Hodgson doesn't exist in his world. And I and I and it's it's eye-opening because if you watch Palace play, it's very difficult to figure out what are we what are we playing. And it doesn't matter because we morph and I think that's important. People think we're morphing is just about, you know, swapping the wingers. But with Horton, it's so much more than that. And I think that clip really just is very insightful because you can tell that, you know, it's very fluid. Systems of play, I mean, he's very tactically, defensively, he wants to keep it tight. But besides that, it can really be uh, more often. I, th- I, th- I like that about him. I really do. I think that's really a great clip.
0: And it brings us on to something we've discussed before about how he doesn't necessarily get the most goals out of his strikers. When you look at the heat maps and see that uh, Zahar was well more forward for a long periods of the game than Batch Y was, and even Schlopp seems like he's further forward than Batch Y. Um, so, you know, that's, that's only going to confuse the Burnley side. And I wonder if they quite expected Zahar to be playing uh, in the positions that he was because the, the kind of space they were giving him, say for the first goal, um it's not very it's not very Burnley like. Um and you know the element of surprise, it's not just the Monty Python thing. It's pretty useful sometimes.
1: Yeah, I think it's useful in terms of defending because even though Hodgson has said that, it seems like we do have a format, we change formations when we're defending. When you look at it, we change from, ideally from yesterday, from a 4-3-3 to a 4-4-2. It seems like when we're defending, we have a structure and we're just brilliant at it. It's just well drilled. But then when we go forward, understand from this clip that there really isn't you know a formation and I think that has benefits and cons. Like the benefit is that you can play a bit more free-flowing football, which is odd because I don't think we've played that this season, which is, it's just confusing because uh, Hodgson doesn't like formation. Well, according to that clip, he doesn't really like the ideas of formations, but it seems like this season we've been stuck in a formation, which hasn't allowed us to express ourselves. So it's, it's, it's very weird. Um, I don't know. I don't know how, what to think about it after hearing that clip.
2: No, I, I totally get the, the, the point. Where, you know, I get what you're saying. Um, I think that they're very much, is a, a much more rigid shape. And we've talked about that a lot this season uh, when we haven't got the ball. And I think that if you listen to the, the full clip, we've had to obviously chop it, but it is on YouTube. Um, and, and that, that full clip, he goes into a bit more detail about the defense and the attack and, and Giving the, the the attackers a bit of freedom and, and trying to get them to express themselves, but the the dominant thing, and I think Patrick was talking about this earlier, is all about recovery of shape once you once you're not in possession. So that's what we see. And I guess that's the trade off we're talking about in the home games. It's we're still always going to do that, and that that seems to be where we perhaps struggle to break teams down. But look, it's a, it's a very very interesting point to consider that. Although he's he's not completely abandoning the the concept of a formation, he's really saying that it's a fluid situation. That as a game pans out, as you get to realise where the spaces are, where you're having successes and where you're failing. For example, you know we're we're very good at defending narrow and forcing forcing teams out wide. So quite often during the course of a game, they will understand that the space against us is out wide, and their back you know position fallbacks will overlap. Try and double up on our fallbacks and and get crosses into the box because they can't play through the centre. That's that's what happens there. Uh, and we you know we obviously do the same in our in our attacking play where we, you know, players are moving to the areas where they can be effective. But I think it's that's a that's a, you know, you kind of said it, it in the right way, Dr. It's there are pros and cons to that, and I think we see the pros away from home and perhaps the cons at home.
1: Um, can you, last season uh, when we had Ruben Loftus Cheek, is I uh, you know what Hodgson described we were seeing it free flowing football playing you know fast and there wasn't really formation doing great one two passes. So can you argue that maybe it's the players that have somehow let us down this season? Uh, I know Ruben Loftus Cheek, uh, we're missing him. We're missing Johan Kabay. Have did them players impact us so much that you know getting them out the side has resulted us in struggling going forward because. Last season, we we're just passing the ball about. Just look at the Leicester game; we we're playing like Bar- like we we're playing at like Barcelona. Just it was just unbelievable how fast, how quick, you know, the passes were. But this season, for some reason, then passes are not connecting, and we're not playing at the speed we played last season. So, is it down to the players then?
0: Well, if you if we're gonna take that comment as gospel, and that that's how he thinks all the time, if you take it in a normal office environment, um, if you have someone that's really capable you're going to give them freedom of movement. You're going to expect that they get the work done. You're going to teach them the basics. So for for football in terms, that would be make sure that there's two banks of four when needed, whatever. But then you're giving them freedom. So with an office employee, you might say, you know, as long as you get your work done, I don't care where you are. Other people, you'd be micromanaging enormously, making sure they're there, checking them in, checking them out, checking they're doing work. So it's a real tightrope because if you start giving people um the kind of options where they can make their own decisions you've got to trust them and if it doesn't work it's very easy for that to, to to not end up with the the stuff that you want so if he's just missing those passes that Loftus-Cheek gave us last season then that kind of mentality is going to fall down pretty quickly as it did for England when we were absolutely crap so um you know it's it's quite a dangerous thing to play and he, you'd have to back his players immensely and if we haven't got quite as as sort
3: of strong and dynamic a squad as last season and that's going to happen, yeah. And Mike, that's a great point. I'm thinking now that maybe that's why Macca and Jeffrey Schlupp play so much because he trusts them and they understand the system and now he wants to play and maybe that's why Maya doesn't play yet and I'll preface it with yet because I think he's going to start playing more because he's just getting used to how this style that Hodgson wants to play is because again, we have done well. Meyer, we played in Meyer. The last seven games has started, we've have not lost. Beginning of the year, I think we lost the first seven that he played in. So maybe it's him getting used to that system that Hodgson needs to play was what he needs to do. When that happens, he'll start to play more.
1: Yeah, I said it I said it earlier on in the season as well. I think Max Meyer is our replacement. To Ruben the Cheek, but Max Meyer hasn't got the physicality, and I think that's what Roy has concerns about. And I think it's a great point that you mentioned about Roy trusting players because Mark and Jeffrey Slup have played, um, regard even though um, you know they haven't had great performances, Roy was still select them. So once Max Meyer comes into the side, then I guess we might go back to playing how we were last season when we had Ruben the Cheek.
2: For sure, look, we're also seeing the the benefits of that trust as well. I mean, you know. Jeff, jeffrey slup's not necessarily my favorite player but you know my my opinion of him i mean even pre-game i was like everybody else and we'll get into the the reaction to the the team selection later on because you know it's it's there's a lot of things to talk about there but you know i i have to admit my my pre-game reaction and then how i feel after the game are two very very different things i thought I think you've got, to, you know, you've got to try and drop those preconceptions at times because, you know, Jeffrey Schlupp is in that team because he's playing extremely well at the moment. You know, Player of the Month probably deservedly, I think, over over the course of a month. Um, another excellent game uh, against Burnley, and I think none more so than when you think about that opening goal, which we'll we'll have a chat about now. You know, yes, it was brilliant dynamism from Wilf. He's he's done that little step over and quick acceleration to drill the ball across, but you know. Schlupp is in exactly the right area that he should be. He's committed. He's almost on the other byline and and getting that cross back. And, you know, without him having that commitment and that awareness, we we don't get the own goal. Can we take
0: a comment from Facebook from Stephen Sheffield? He said, can we keep hold of Jeffrey Schlupp in the summer? The boy is on fire.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Probably. (laughs) Let's not say
1: yes, uh, but yeah let's not get ahead of ourselves as well. Um, Jeffrey Slup has played brilliantly um, recently and I've been critical of him because he hasn't been consistent. He has been consistent for a month and it slowly seems like he's adjusting to um, to, to the team and understanding his role. So that's a positive. And yesterday he contributed to that goal. But I don't think we're at that stage that we have to worry about losing Jeffrey Slup. He's not playing that great. He's He's playing how we should play. Whereas before he was, you know playing uh, below average so i'm not that concerned about losing jeff slump
2: no but uh, you know what it's, it's i'm sure it's a playful comment but at the same time he's i'm sure he's, he's surprising a lot of people i mean i know obviously from the love sports show jake who who presents that jake watson is a leicester fan and laughed when we told him that, that jeff slump's been playing in sort of central midfield um but you know, I think a lot of people will be looking at his performances and again. Look at look at how he played against Burnley, bursting forward, having long long range shots. That's 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 the great part of his game. You know, the only thing I've ever thought about where Schlupp lets himself down at times is in his positional recovery, which at times makes me wonder quite why he is so well trusted by Roy. Because you know, again in his in his poor games, you you look at him jogging back, marking space where there are no players and, and letting people run on. Those are the things that have always annoyed me about him. But those are getting less and less, and he's becoming much more of a force going forward. So, yeah, you can definitely see the sense in it.
0: And let's remember, you, if you got PVA and him in front of him, you know, that's two supposedly classical left-backs that we had. Um, so you, you'd have to back that they'd, they'd have a bit of defensive nouse between them. But the thing I wanted to bring up, if we go to the first goal, um, when Zaha's crossed it across it's not very often that we've got um two people by the byline so if the ball goes right across someone on the other flanks there to knock it back in um and God to give him credit for that and I, I was really impressed um you know because what before the game if you were going to go with that formation and expect that he was playing a four-four-two with a someone on the left without Townsend and one would think oh it's, it's IU who's going to play there so you know that that was great that it, it was a team goal, and it was lucky, but um, Schalp was definitely in the right place at the right time.
2: Yeah, no, look, let's not make any any uh, excuses that we actually had a very poor first half again. It was very similar to the Leicester game, where you know you could argue we're lucky to be in front, um, almost to the point you feel the need to apologise. But you know, again, much much better second half, and again in that second half, let's talk about goal number two because what a beauty that was! So satisfying to see. You know the, the centre forward, if you like, smashing the ball home. But the work that went on before it, obviously Zaha getting on the ball um, from from Coyote, playing it out to Wan-Bissaka, gets grief from people about not being out to cross. That I mean, that's first of all, it isn't true. You know, he it, he it was- has he has overhit crosses in the past, but hasn't everybody? But absolutely brilliant first time balling that, that allows that perfect finish from from Batshuayi.
1: Well, I think earlier on in, in the season, he struggled massively. There were some crosses where it was just ridiculous. Like, it would just fly over. And as the season has gone on, he has improved on that. And yesterday, just look at that ball. That ball was timed perfectly. And the way he put it into the box was just up. And Michi done does what he's meant to do and finish that. So that was a great overall goal. But in terms of uh, Wan-Bissaka's crosses, uh, you know, people complaining about earlier on in the season, um, it's understandable because he wasn't that great, but he has improved.
2: Yeah, again, I think you got to remember a lot of that. In you know, as much as we forget sometimes, because he does seem like some sort of right back designed robot, but you know he he is a human being as well. And every every player gets in that position where they they're putting that final ball in, and then the adrenaline rises, and they they take a swipe at it, or they comes off the outside of the foot as they're trying to hook the foot round it because they're running at pace. You know what's really pleasing about that the weight of the ball from Zaha. Was absolutely perfect and shouldn't be ignored, but you know to do that first time. But not only to do that first time, to have the the, the presence of mind to look up to see where Batchuay was, and he was in the position you want a striker to be. And so often we don't have a player doing it, which was lurking around the six yard area trying to get goal side of his man. And you know he he is settling in really really well. Maybe a bit fortunate with his first Palace goal, but nothing fortunate about that. Great work, great finish. Um, you know, Heaton couldn't even move uh, before that's in the back of the net. It's a huge amount of power. But, you know, the, the weight of power, that's why it's such a satisfying goal to score, because everything about it was done perfectly.
0: And the cross was low, um, which, is, which is a nice touch. When there's a bit, of, um, a bit of worry and you're knocking the ball in and you're not quite sure, you might knock it high, but to knock it on the floor like that absolutely great stuff and when i used to bunk off work and go and watch the under 23s on a monday um i did see wan and and they did put him i didn't i don't remember him defending I, I i remember him being right of midfield and and running with the ball so you know he's still young and some of his crosses have been overhit but that's probably as a result of him uh, crossing them from deeper than what he was used to in the under-23 under squad. So I, I might be wrong if anyone's an under-23 expert. You know, I only saw a few games, but um, it, it, it's something that he, he was doing when he was a lot younger. So, you know, he's got it in his locker. Um, everyone's overhit stuff in the past. I wouldn't worry about that. Um, but, but that's why... You just you just couldn't see Benteke taking that like that. So I uh, really impressed with him, and hopefully, if he can get well, I don't know half a dozen by the end of the season, I think I think we've got a we've got a decent line there.
3: Um, Mike makes a good point about um, the, the cross. I, I just think that as far as crossing goes, those kind of crosses are a lot easier to work on and to do than the ones you know when you float the ball in, looking for a, a Benteke to head the ball in. I think that. Um, that's something you could just tell that Palace must be practicing. I know Wilf made a comment about the third goal. He says, I've done that kind of goal many times in 5v5 five, five, five in training. And if you watch any of the videos, you see that it's exact kind of goals that we score. But that second goal, there's so much good about it. You know, the Kiarte run, the, the the ball by Wilf, the, 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 the cross. But again, it's batch-wise class. I underestimated him, I'm not going to lie. I I was glad when you signed him, but I just didn't think he was this type of a striker. He's what we've been really calling out for. He's very very good in in and around the box and he finds those those pockets of space uh, as Mike just said, you know, top of the box, uh, you know, penalty spot, wherever it's be it would be, you know, he's he's got footwork, he's got skill, he's got ability. I mean, he's a he's a really clinical player and he's a confidence player. I mentioned it last week. I just I just I, you can see he's oozing confidence right now. Yeah, he made that mistake on that me head back, and he didn't. You know the first touch went poor, etc. But just as far as his, his finishing, the concern he's really shown me that you know from last week's, you know the the, the getting pulled off his knee to this week, he's really coming to his own, and I'm looking forward to seeing him score more goals with uh with more opportunities.
1: Yeah, on, on uh Shuai, sometimes his shot shot selection may seem ridiculous. Uh, for example, in the first half, he had Zaha on his right. Uh, I think Jeffrey Slap on his left, and he just. He just decided to shoot when he could have gave to Zaha and created a better opportunity. But sometimes you need that in a striker. I think we've been missing that. It gives something for defenders to think about. And um, as the time goes on, it just shows that he he doesn't care. He has no fear. So I think that's another positive for us because we've lacked strikers that haven't had no fear. It seemed like Ben Tekker, when we've had him, he, he overthought about his short selection. So that's good to have from him.
2: Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, the one thing I really like about Batchelor is, is he plays with a smile on his face, like he's actually enjoying being a professional footballer. I think it's always good to see that. You look at the impact, and I hate to talk about them, but the impact of, of Solskjaer at Man United, all he's really done is, is let, let them enjoy their football again. And I think players who play and enjoy it, like, you know, you see Wilf, when Wilf's enjoying the game and not caught up in the frustration of it all, he, he's genuinely a joy to watch as well. Um so I think that's that's an important part of having someone like Batswa who's positive, direct, understands that he's a striker and yeah, as you say, dear, great that he takes on a shot, even even though it's probably the wrong choice, you'd rather see a you know, a, a striker who's desperate to score and is is willing to back his ability like that. And, you know, you talk about Ben Techkey it's a confidence thing and you're absolutely right. He overthinks everything and that's and that's why he struggles now. And it's gonna be very difficult for him to get that back unless he uh unless he has a run of games and a run of goals. But um, Let's talk about wilfred Zaha's third goal. Um, well, sorry, Palace's third goal, wilfred Zaha's oh. first goal. Um, and there's only real one word One word to say, isn't it? Chops. Just chops. Lamb chops. <laughs> Lamb chops. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely brilliant. Uh, you know, again, Patrick said it always. He, he's, he talked about the fact he does that in training. Lovely to see him doing that. And it's so, so satisfying to watch two players just falling over themselves, trying to stop him. Um, great finish through the legs of Tarkovsky, so Heaton doesn't have a chance to react as well. Um, just glorious to see Wolf from full flow. It's yeah, what?
0: Uh, It was almost more satisfying to watch the post-match interview because uh, they said to him, you know, what, what did you think of that goal? Is it one of the best you've scored? And, and as, as Patrick said, he said, you know, i do that in training. And he said, well... I chopped and I chopped and he's like, I couldn't chop again, so I had to shoot. And I was like, "That, that is absolutely awesome." And um, we looked at the expected goals uh, for for this game, and we had zero point four nine. Um, and earlier on in the season, when we were having three and scoring none, well, this shows that uh, you know they've all got in their heads that they want to shoot more uh, rather than passing the buck. So it's great that they're doing that. Um, and then he, and then he was asked, "Why it is that?" Their Chances of being put away, you know, uh, five shots, whatever the four on target and 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 three goals. And he said, Well, we've been practicing more, um, which I suppose is worrying in a way, but um, you know, that's good. They've, he's obviously said to them, Right, shoot on site a bit more, uh, Wilf, don't turn them an extra time, just have a go,
1: and that's that's really nice. Another positive from Wilf after the Southampton um red card um incident is the fact that. He doesn't seem as agitated as before. He seems like he's just... He's calmed down a bit. Um, you know, yesterday there were still some ridiculous tackles. Whereas before, Wilf would react. But it seems like I wouldn't say a lesson because it, it, it was not deserved that red card of uh, you know the referee had, Andrew Mariner had a mayor against Southampton. But it seems like it's kind of helped Wilf as well. He just lets the game flow and he doesn't overthink it. And when Wilf doesn't overthink stuff, he just plays much better. Because that game, some like look at a Brighton game when we did end up losing. 3-0 um it seemed like even that game you just start overthinking it and you can see it when he overthinks it because he doesn't play as good but it seems like he just slowly he just letting the game flow and he's not thinking too much about challenges and i think that's helped his
2: game sorry patrick was going to say something but <laughs> that's fine um, i agree that's uh, a really good point I, I thought the same whilst watching the game um he was much quicker to sort of just get to his feet after a challenge and he almost sort of walk away smiling rather than, than react to it. And I think, you know, you, you shied away from the word lesson there, but he said after the Southampton game that he would learn from it. Very much look like, looks like he has. And if he can keep that positivity, um, and I, I think it, it will um, be much less of a distraction to him. You know, unless again, unless he gets some really harsh treatment and doesn't get the protection that he deserves, because then it you know, the injustice obviously will take over. But yeah, long may that continue because it it, it definitely was noticeable and you're right to bring it up. Okay, that's... um, Well, just before I uh, uh, finish the sort of game chat, I do want to point out that we were talking about heat maps earlier on and a selection of those will be available if you're listening on Acast. They'll pop up as images during that section. So um, have a look at that. Otherwise, pop yourself over to whoscored.com. Check out the match report and the the match centre on there. For all that kind of information, it's uh, it's always interesting. Well, not not for everybody, but for those of you that are interested by those sorts of things, it's quite quite good to have a look at. Okay, before we uh, get into the listener contact, we've uh, we've had a go at um, a little. Uh, well, we're going to have a go at a little feature called um, Palace Player Two Word Tango. So look forward to that. There are 99 reasons to hate Brighton. Homophobia homophobia doesn't need to be one of them. Follow us on Twitter at Proud Palace. Okay, it's time for Palace player two-word tango. Uh, The rules are, and we've had to keep this simple because we are a simple bunch and we've definitely not wasted 40 minutes of our time trying to record it properly. So what we're going with is it, it sounds very, very simple and in many ways it is. Each member of the panel... Just has to name a Palace player, any Palace player, past or present. There are no more rules than that, other than it is in time to some ever increasingly fast music. Uh, We'll see who flaps first. Um, It will be in the order of me, uh, then Mike, then DR, then Patrick. That's me, followed by Mike, followed by DR. Followed by Patrick, then back to me again if we are so lucky. Sounds simple, guys. Let's do it.
1: You gotta lift them out for this gap. Say your player's name, but don't flap. Something like Jens Alaco. It's piles players to work tango. Armstrong. Take it, so. Right. Townsend.
2: <laughs> what? Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> <No. laughs> well, well, well right why is out? It? Because well, it's a numbing You know what? I'm glad I'm out. I'm glad I'm out. <laughs> okay. Music will start mm, again. Um, it will begin funny. with you, dear.
1: Okay. Dan. Oh, no, boy.
2: Ward. <laughs> oh fuck i did it I'm out. I'm, I'm out I'm out i'm out i'm out i panicked i panicked immediately because i thought i haven't i haven't been thinking of a player so i just said it in patrick's turn because as soon as a player popped in my head See? Sorry, DR, it, unbelievable See? sorry mike i apologize i apologize for my uh aspersions cast in your direction uh, it's amazing how you panic isn't it so it's between dr and patrick and we're starting with dr again
3: Gale, Batshuayi, Gabadini, Belassi, zoha Wright, Suare, <laughs> Young, Brony, Fennec,
1: Sacco, Sacco,
3: Slop. Nicholas. Scannel.
2: Coleman. Repetition. Repetition. I did Coleman. Kidnapped.
1: I went.
3: You did Coleman in the the other game. (laughs) That
2: is unbelievable. No, I did it in this one as well. Oh, wow. It's, the, it's actually the one I shouted over you. Um, right, it's why I
3: didn't hear it. That should not be allowed.
2: Oh, Jesus, Patrick. Okay. You've you've gone immediately into competitive <laughs> mode, haven't you, there? I know. What, what? I hate to
3: <laughs> so i do you- wrong, I'm going to every player from the 80s, but that's okay.
2: I know, and I kind of felt that DR had the current squad in front of him. No. <laughs> we just got through the...
3: It's worth um, saying, people, that
0: we're up for some podcast awards soon, and I think <laughs> we'll be playing this particular highlight reel.
2: For well, you all. we're going to go with all the all the outtakes as well. We send them the full, let's face it, hour-long package. I think we are in some serious chance of some silverware <laughs> uh, there. And rightly so. Hope you enjoyed that. <laughs> I did i did it was all right i'll be better we'll, we'll try something next week maybe that again maybe something different right it is listener contact time uh, each of us have chosen a question from you thank you to everybody else who you messaged in we can't get to them all we read them all as i say every single week um we, we do appreciate every single one of them but dr you are first up
1: Yes, we've got a question from Martin at martin2356. He asks, can you analyse Meyer's performance? I think uh, Max Meyer, uh yesterday, he, he didn't have the greatest of games. I think this was a good opportunity for him. But what I find more confusing is the fact that Roy knew what side of what type of side Burnley are. That's why he dropped Gaeta for Hennessy. That's why he dropped um, Martin Kelly for Scott Dan. So I was surprised for Max Meyer to start in that game because Burnley's a physical team and I spoke about earlier Max Meyer is not known to be a physical player and just at the game he just seemed to struggle really with the physicality and that's why I think he was out of the game because if you actually look at his passing accuracy it wasn't as bad as you know, people turn out to be it was similar to Lucas so I just think it was a game that was not really suited for him so I was surprised initially that Roy gave him a chance against Burnley than another team because Burnley doesn't suit his style of play but you know, he did, in terms of in terms of his actual playing style, he he his passing, he didn't really struggle as much. But I just think it's just really just one thing, physicality. So I'm surprised that Roy started him.
0: Well, I just got to say that in his post match, um, Hodgson was was asked about all the changes, um, and he said that um, he specifically said Townsend and MacArthur were left out because they were knackered. So. I don't think that this necessarily would have been his uh, his choice. I think he would have gone with McArthur as usual.
3: And I want to add that um, you know, I hate talking about formations, but if you look at what we spoke about previously, We've talked in the past about how good Meyer and uh, Wolf play together. Well, look at how they played yesterday. Wolf's on the right, Meyer's on the other side of the field. So they didn't have the opportunity to really play together. And I think they both, well, Meyer in particular, thrives when he's able to link up more with Wolf. And yesterday, just just the way they, we set up yesterday wasn't conducive for that. And Mike's point is exactly that. He wasn't going to start that match had backup not been, um, you know, tired.
2: Well, uh, you wrote, you're. you're what you're saying there Patrick is exactly what i was going to get to and i said it i think on twitter after after the first half which was you know if we finally finally picked max mayer to start and then, and then you isolate him from wolf by by selecting the way he is but you know there's a couple of things to talk about i mean you get into the you know we've been asked to analyze it well what i would say was you know he he did a lot of sort of tidy regular kind of work just moving the ball that kind of stuff um made a lot of challenges a lot of fouls to be honest with you and rightfully picked up a yellow card for uh, repeated fouls but um i, I don't think it, it certainly wasn't a game that he could possibly shine in given given the situation but at the same time we can't make excuses for him i think part of it is you know after how he played when he came on against man united he deserved an opportunity but for me it's, it's about playing him in the home games. So i think away from home we, we were never really going to Play in a way that's necessarily going to help him. I think he can contribute from the bench, um, but home games I'd like to see him start with a you know perhaps a bit more possession because that's what he wants. He wants possession of the ball. He wants options around him. He wants to play quickly and intricately and get himself forward into the box at the right moment. Um, you know he's he's a very talented technical player, um, but I think that in a lot of ways playing against Burnley and having to deal with that would do him good. Um, but look. He, and the the other point that was raised by you, Dr., about him, you know, not doing too differently to, to Milivojevic. Again, in the who scored sort of statistical ratings, um, he, he he was fractionally lower um, out of, out of ten than the Milivojevic was. There wasn't a huge difference between the two. Um, so, yeah, it, I think it gets it gets overplayed because I think everyone thinks of Mayor his impact off the bench, how effective he is there. And I don't think you're ever going to see someone replicate that for 90 minutes. Um, but I think played an hour, did okay, probably right to take him off when we did. Um, but, you know, look, he will have better games and probably have worse games as well.
1: Yeah, I think the most annoying thing is that I doubt Roy starts him against Brighton, whereas I, I, w- I would, um, because now James McArthur's rested, I I think he'll get dropped, which is which is annoying because I, w- I want to see a bit more... Meyer starting consistently at the start in you know, 11 because he has started games now and then, but he hasn't really been a consistent run of games, which has been an annoying thing.
2: Yeah, and I think if you were a, a cynic, you would perhaps suggest that playing McArthur where he did against who he did actually gives him a reason to to not start him against Brighton and not play him in the next game. But I think more realistically, you know, he will go with the players he trusts next game. And, you know, McCar- uh, Maia had an opportunity there to play out of his skin and keep his place probably did do enough let's face it All right mike you're up next
0: yeah let's get on to the subject of everyone's favorite uh historian and enthusiast of german history between 1933
2: and 1945 <laughs> you can't say that wayne <laughs> well, wayne
0: hennessy uh christopher stevens on facebook i don't know if he said this tongue-in-cheek or not uh hennessy's howler was it really beneficial to start him over Guaita just because he's taller? Uh, and I would say that somebody replied straight after that with the Ryan Reynolds face palm meme because you know is there really need to discuss this again? But um, he had an odd game, so let's let's bring up Wayne Hennessy. Um, he first of all, let's say he, he pulled out an absolutely amazing save right at the end to stop Peter Crouch scoring. Um, which I thought was great. I also I'm stunned at how young Peter Crouch looks for a man of 38. Uh, but let uh, that's probably a different subject. Uh, he did a couple of a couple of really decent saves, one in the first half at point blank range. Um, but then for the goal, um, you can say he was in no, he's in that normal no man's land where he uh, wasn't quite far enough forward to get the ball or didn't stay on his line either. Uh, I think we know that that's one of his his weak points. Um, and obviously, um, throughout the game, Burnley put in the kind of balls that would test that. So it's not a great surprise that we didn't keep a clean sheet. Hodgson said uh, he was really upset for both his goalkeeper and his back four that they didn't keep a clean sheet because he thought they deserved to. Uh, I'm not sure that's the case with with that particular mistake. Um, but at the same time, I thought we had a pretty decent game. He certainly stopped a couple of decent shots um, that, you know, could have gone in. Um, so whether Guetta would have done drastically better, I don't know. Uh, I think it's quite odd swapping between goalkeepers in the in the league personally, because you'd really want your number one to be having a decent run. But um, I do get the impression, and going back to the Meyer thing as well, that he's got one big eye on Brighton on Saturday um, and he did want to rest up what will be his... his first 11 for that game so whether he thought he could take a point from this game I'm not sure um but yeah I thought relatively harsh comment from Christopher but I assume that that's his intention
2: what was has Roy Hodgson got one big eye so yeah, I don't know I'm not sure about that uh
0: let's let's, not no, let's, let's leave that
2: let's yeah I've just realized what that how that could be misinterpreted right um <laughs> so, <laughs> so um I don't have a huge amount to add to what you said. I think it's a, it's a good summary. I think it's important to say that I think a lot of people's fear is that because we won the game that Roy will keep, you know, will, will consider that Hennessy has won the shirt back and, and people genuinely are worried about that. I have to be honest, I am too, but I'm, I'm not going to get into it because most people know why. Uh, but, what you know, I think it's really important to say that, as you pointed out, he made some, some good saves and the, the save from Crouch was excellent. But it kind of brings into focus what my issue with the explanation is, which is I don't have that much of a problem with Hennessy with as a shot stopper. I think more often than not he makes the saves that he's expected to make and every now and then he'll he'll pull out a, a really good save. I think to select him because you're expecting a lot of high balls into the box, I think he's you know, he's he's very very indecisive in the air. Um, and you can see that indecision in, in the goal. I mean, a few people have said that's oh, not his fault, or well, there was a foul on Luca or something like that. But bottom bottom line is he's got no business coming for that. And yes, I suppose you could you could make an excuse and say perhaps the wind diverted the ball because it was very windy. Um, but you can see it, he, he comes for the ball. He's looking at it and he realizes it's dropping, and it's not just dropping slightly beyond his reach. It's you know you're talking about five six foot. Out, you know, from, from where he can possibly get to in a reasonable manner, and I think you know it's difficult to imagine anyone scoring a, a simpler header than, than Ashley Barnes did. So that that's where he, he you know, unfortunately, he lets lets himself down in that moment. But you know, he still didn't have a terrible game at all. He, you know, he, he he did what was needed.
1: Yeah, I think he struggled a bit though. Um, as you said, Chris, the conditions were not nice. But then again, he did he didn't have the greatest of games. But then he didn't have the worst of games because he made a great save towards. Um, towards the end of the game then again if Vicente was at the game would he would he have done better you know I can. of Hodgson's an old school manager I understand that um but yeah it's it's overdone with I don't think he'll get selected against Brighton uh, because it because of that last goal conceded and I just think um Roy Hodgson now knows because of Vicente's good run of games that he's actually the better uh, better goalkeeper so it's just an, an anomaly
2: yeah, I, I will say that in the last couple of games, Wait has had a little bit of a. Well, he's been he's been a little over keen at times to come out uh, from his from his line and, and try and get to the ball as well. You've seen him sort of run it run, run away from his line and then run back to it, on, on a couple of occasions during attack. So maybe that little bit of uncertainty had had the, the management team a little worried considering Burnley's style of play. But you know, look, the the players are there for for Hodgson to use how he sees fit. He made the decision. He made we won the game. Um, but like I say, I, personally, I, I think let, you've got that game out of the way. We won it. Let's uh, let's get back to putting our best goalkeeper um, in, in goal for the next game, please, especially considering the, uh, the previous performance against Brighton.
3: Anyway, uh, Patrick, you're up next. My question comes from Tom R on Facebook. Can we keep one Basaka, wilf and Luger at the club this summer? Well, Tom, I would... Um answer the following way. I don't think Juan Pasaka, though I've seen the media reports of so many people looking to sign him, I don't think we ambition to sell a player who's so young uh, who we've just signed a new contract and we have a need for it right back. Wilf, a different story. If we've said on this podcast before, I'd like to see him go to a top European side and get a chance to play because of the fact that um, I think it's just time he went to Man United when he shouldn't have gone. He was too young. Which is, which is the thing that one should be careful about. And um, I think he's, he'd be great at like a Dortmund or, or a similar PSG or something like that. Luca is an interesting case um, because uh, I believe that he's entering the last year of his contract. He's paid in Europe before would he want to go on to bigger and better. What I was saying in the end is for all three. I think it really comes down to the club's ambition. Um, I'm tired of uh, fighting relegation every year on a personal level. I'm tired of not winning any major trophies. I think the club needs to move forward um, during the summer and really look to uh, get, um, you know, look up the table instead of keep looking down. And if Hodgson's going to be the person in charge, can we go next year for a top 10 finish and and to win the cup as opposed to what happened this year? So I think it really comes down to what's the club's ambition and does that line up with what Wan-Bissaka will and Luka want to do going forward?
1: I think we need to have a strong finish this year. Um, I can see Wan Bissaka and Lucas staying, but I won't be that surprised if Wilf does end up leaving if we finish around 13th and get you know knocked out of FA Cup against Watford or in the semi-final. So I think a good cup run is needed um, for Zaha's sake because he's he's around I think 26 years old now. So he's, he's entering his prime and he wouldn't want his prime wasted fighting for relegation every year, which is understandable. So he might request a transfer. So I think we need to finish this season off strongly. We're only 10 points uh, below seventh place. So we're not that far off. Um, if, we, if we finish in the top 10 and possibly go to the FA Cup final, and who knows, um, I think that's a better chance of Will staying. But as you said, Patrick, it's all about ambition. The club needs to up its ambition and we need to play a more exciting football for at times for them players to stay? Finishing in the top 10 in an FA Cup. That's optimistic, isn't it? (laughs) Um,
0: I would be absolutely gutted, Tom, if all three of them left. Um, I've been worried a little bit about the contract with um, Milivojevic, but fairly confident he'll sign another one. Um, You know, we're talking about club captain, we're talking about default penalty taker. Uh, He knows how much the, the fans love him. I know initially he was saying things about when he first came about how he had various options at various clubs and he had to think about it very hard. Um, But he's obviously a fan of playing in the Premier League, so I I would imagine it would have to be another Premier League club to take him off us. So I'm I'm fairly confident about that. Wan Bissaka is the one I'm least confident about. You know, there's been rumors this week about United wanting them. I know that Man City are already keen. You know, Carl Walker seems to be in decline, uh, and they've both got the kind of money that could. tempt him away you know he's not on enormous wages right now compared with some other players so I can, I, I'm you know I wouldn't be surprised if he goes so you know 125 grand a week uh, people would have to pay more than that you know from an ambitious club and I think he's done enough in people's minds Um you know, high-profile sending off. Okay, it was the first sending off in a long time, but um, I think people sort of doubt his temperament, and for whatever reason, people like Adrian Durham have made it seem like he's he's a diver. Um, so I'm not. So I'd be more surprised if he went than uh, sorry um, if he if Wan Bissaka stayed than Sahar uh, staying personally.
2: Okay, and just to sort of sum it up for myself, you know, I'll, I'll start with Wan Bissaka, and I, I said this on Love Sport in a in a post match review um there's part of me that thinks that the club has a bit of a difficult decision if someone comes in with the sort of money that's being rumoured and and the reason i say that and it's not because i don't think that that vanbasaka can improve considerably and that he he can't end up being one of the you know the best right backs you'll ever see but at the same time because he kind of came out of nowhere and it all, you know i don't think you know you go back a year and i'm not sure the club thought of him as an asset that was worth that sort of money so there will be if someone comes in with a bid of that size there has to be some sort of consideration of will he ever be will his stock be that high again you know will he be able to kick on specifically kick on at Palace what are his own ambitions and you know basically will we ever get that kind of bid for him again personally you know that's not my consideration. I think he's one of the best right-backs I've seen. Um, he has incredible recovery skills, has a lot to learn still. I think people forget that because you know, because of his natural recovery skills and his pace and, and just his temperament as well. I think people sort of kind of ignore the fact that a lot of the challenges he makes are because he has to recover position. But that's not criticism. That's just natural for any player who's played as few games at senior level as he has and who've had to you know change positions. Uh, from playing playing in different forward areas um, throughout their youth, so that's that's not a criticism, I and mean, I think he's certainly got the capability, and he clearly is learning quickly, um, and and benefiting from the players around him. So I don't I don't want to over over speak, but you know I can see that there's potentially a bit of a decision decision to make there. Um, I don't want to get into the others. Dr. Very quickly, you want to talk?
1: Yeah. What fee are you talking about? Forty million. Yeah. But yeah, but people don't realise as well, as you know, as good as Wilf is going forward, Wan-Bissaka plays a major part in our defence. So losing him for 40 million, I think will be too low. He's only 20, 20 years old and he's in, uh, that English part plays a massive part to price tags because they're overvalued than other uh, players from other countries. So I think if you keep him for a season or two, that fee could, if Kyle Walker went for 55 million, I could see Wan-Bissaka going for 55 to 60 million as well.
2: Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but I, like I say, I, I'm, I'm talking about I'm kind of almost thinking, like, not necessarily worst case, but I'm kind of thinking, you know, there aren't any guarantees in in football. You know, there. Right now, his stock is incredibly high, and you're paying as, you know, teams will be playing paying for potential uh, as much as they're uh, paying for ability. There's a lot of teams after a decent right back right now. I think the real question for us is, what could we do with that kind of money? if we we chose to take it, could we go out and get an an accomplished right back who would be maybe not as good, but certainly good enough for our purposes. And it would help us build elsewhere in the squad and give Roy more options of what he wants to see. Those kinds of things. I'm not advocating it. I'm just kind of, there's a bit of devil's advocate there in terms of, that's a potential decision that needs to be thought about should a bit of that size come in. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll move on from that. Wilf talked about it at length, won't go into major detail. Wouldn't begrudge him a big move, similar to what uh, Terence was saying on the preview. Be nice to see him play for a for a really big team with great players around him. But at the same time, myself, the selfish part of me thinks, you know, he's settled, he's happy, he's got a long contract. There's a big sell-on fee to Man United. Um, so someone's going to have to pay an awful lot of money. Uh, to get him from us while he's under a, such a long contract, so it's a very difficult transfer to see happening, unless somebody decides that they're desperate and throws a, a huge sum of money at us. And as for Luca, yes, yeah, a concern. And I think, I think if anything, you know, he's he's probably underrated, um, but by, by a few, because he's he's an incredible defensive midfielder, um, and and it has a great range of passing. But it's that leadership that. You know the free kicks, the penalties, everything that he brings on top of being a great midfielder. So we have to work very, very hard to uh, to convince him to to sign a new contract. Right, finally, um, my question uh, is from Simon Pizzi, who's obviously of this parish, and says, "Is it time our fan base trusted Roy? We finally have a squad which allows for ro- uh, for rotation, uh, and he got abuse pre match. Um, so I sort of addressed that a little bit earlier, but I want to get into a bit more detail before we end today." um yes it is undoubtedly time that we trusted Roy a bit more than we do I don't have any problem with anyone questioning anything that Roy does I I responded in a similar fashion um, uh, initially to the to the team lineup and it's funny you you kind of didn't think about the fact that that we played well if anyone had you know the, the usuals had started they would have had to have played three games in a week. And you, you kind of forgot that when you saw the lineup because there were five changes and mainly because the keeper changed. I think people saw that and thought, what What on earth is going on? How can you drop Townsend? How can you drop the keeper? But I think, you know, once you applied logic and saw how we played, I think that melted away. And I think there's a lesson for us all. I said it a few weeks back, you know, Roy regularly makes me feel like an idiot. Um it doesn't mean you can't question him again. We saw loads of people saying, "Well, that's that's why Roy is a football manager." It's like Roy, Roy will make mistakes; the, the staff will make mistakes. We can question those. We're not our opinions as, as fans aren't worthless, um, but I don't really see what the point is in abusing him. He won't he won't see it because I, I doubt he's on Twitter. But at the same time, it isn't nice to call him abusive names because you don't agree with his team selection. Um, and you know, while he's getting results, you are going to look very very stupid indeed. I think this is more a question about
0: should people be such dicks on Twitter, <laughs> isn't it? Really, um, that's what it, that's what it boils down to. Um, yes. be, be a little bit of a dick. By all means, be a little bit of a dick. Make a comment that maybe you don't believe occasionally, but just moaning for the sake of moaning all the time, like a few people in around me in the lower Holmesdale. Just literally, if they won the lottery, they'd be pissed off. It wasn't another million. Just, there's no need for it he's 71 he probably could not care less and we've got 33 points already we're going to be fine I really don't see how anyone can criticise him much
2: no look we <laughs> there, there are times where you do wonder what on earth is going on and I think you go back to earlier in the season where we, we just weren't using subs and it was you know there was that lack of trust in the rest of the players and it just seemed absolutely bewildering and I think there's still people, still a lot of people hanging on to that. And, of course, there are. You know, I have doubts, you know, about, about Roy at times, and, and I've been very open and honest about that, and I'm very pleased every time he proves me wrong because I'm not precious about whether I'm right or wrong. I just, you know, I form an opinion, and it's 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 either going to be correct or incorrect. But as you say, Mike, it's just stop being dicks. Stop, stop it. <laughs> you know, it's, it's far from limited to football and palace but my word it's it's painful to see at times you know if you if you find yourself every week reacting in such a strong way and being abusive and then by the end you're like oh yeah we we won you'll end up not being able to enjoy a victory because you you know you're too worked up about how wrong you are you know again just question it wonder what's going on but then you know that's it you don't need to don't need to be a moron about it
1: well, well, Roy doesn't. Roy probably has a Nokia three thousand. Um, so I doubt he has Twitter. And <laughs> I think I think there should be a petition to give Roy an iPhone and let him go on Twitter. As I think it'll be fascinating to hear his views. Um, uh, there's always going. There's always, there's always going to be fans that moan and abuse him personally. But who cares? Roy doesn't care. Um, I think as fans, you said a brilliant Chris. As fans, Roy does. You know, Roy does the, uh, um do mistakes, so we can criticize him. But it's not personal criticism, like slagging him off for his age or his speech. Then that's just nonsense. But
0: yeah, Roy's cares? a thirty-two ten man, and he clearly plays Snake. <laughs> yeah, that's, there's no
2: question. He's got Is the all-time all-time <laughs> high score on Snake. I reckon. Um, yeah. no, I, I, you know, as as you gents all know, I I save all my reactionary crap for the whatsapp chat that we have and then i put a nice reasoned opinion on twitter to make myself look better but you know i i'm not you know everyone has strong reactions to to things that they don't agree with at times you know and i'm, I'm really annoyed with myself about how negative i've become this season I, i'll put that out there right now and i'm making a conscious effort to be more positive but you know that fails at times um but there is there's not an awful lot to be negative about i mean you know we we joked about you know dr state in that earlier top 10 and fa cup final but hey you know it's still it's still technically on the cards isn't it you know we could we could have one of our best seasons ever right now um, you know we're we're, we're very much looking like we're well i can't see us Going down at all, especially with Cardiff imploding the way they are. So look, this—it's it's a really good
3: time to be a Palace fan. I really, really is. I want to add one thing. I put this out on Twitter yesterday, so I'll read it now. Okay, since Roy knows more about football than all of us, no, no more punditry, podcast, newspaper articles, magazines, or tweets about him. And no talking about the decision down the pub. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I
2: mean? So like, what? Well, <laughs> That that I'll be honest. That I ended up muting someone on Twitter yesterday because of it. Because of just the constant. Oh, you know that's what you get for questioning. (laughs) Come on, that's what we exist for. That (laughs) you know, it's just remain
1: silent every time we play a
2: game. (laughs) Forward review silent dot dot dot. dot, Just nothing. Next week, (laughs) next week dot dot dot. Next week we'll just we'll read out the result and and we'll either say that was good or that wasn't good. (laughs) And then that's it. I think some people post silent. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> i think some people would possibly prefer that but hey um that is what it is okay brilliant stuff thank you very much gentlemen um those of you at home won't know what a challenging recording session this has been but it really was uh, so excellent stuff thanks to mikey as well for to producing cheers for listening uh, make sure you uh, share this podcast with your fellow palace friends make sure you subscribe To get all of our content, of course, we have the Love Sports show Tuesday, 7 to 9 p.m. That will be live on on Love Sports channels and also out as a podcast shortly afterwards. And, of course, the preview show will be previewing that horrible game against the South Coast Shite. And, um, yeah, I'm sure they'll have a lot of fun doing that as well. Uh, Obviously, rate us five stars. Loads of you have done that. It's been really good. We've been jumping up the charts. Loads more new listeners. Keep that coming. It really helps. It makes us feel worthwhile. Um, you know, that's that's always a good thing. So, uh, yeah, let's let's do this. (laughs) Bye.
1: (laughs) Well, unless you have a Nokia 500 or 3,000, you have no excuse. I want to go, I'm going to check it. Yeah. I need more ratings alright see you D- later DR really Bye. does need the ratings and also I did
2: <laughs> notice that there were some written reviews as well which I, I will give a shout out to people who have done that like feel free to write reviews one of them does mention that they hate Dr Pepper as well which I'm not really a fan of but they They all be delighted he's a smart man <laughs> or woman I don't know yeah exactly yeah women can hate Dr Pepper too it's absolutely true anyway it's the longest outro yeah I'm trying to finish the show you keep talking <laughs> Thank you very much, everybody. See you later. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping, and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery free and terms apply. See McDonald's.com.